Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show, your home for open, honest, and provocative conversations. Hey, everyone, I'm Megan Kelly. Welcome to The Megan Kelly Show. President Biden, fully vaccinated, twice boosted, has tested positive for COVID. The White House says he is experiencing mild symptoms and he will, quote, work in isolation until he tests negative. One year ago, this was the president at a CNN town hall. You're okay. You're not going to you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. You're not. Well, you did. And you're mandating that millions of Americans who don't want this thing get it or be fired, get it or be expelled from their schools. That's per the school mandates uh, from coast to coast. You can get it. Millions of people are getting it post-vaccination, post-double booster, and you're still threatening people's livelihoods and education if they don't get this double jab. I accept that the vaccine, the boosters, etc., will likely lower the severity of your case. That's between you and your doctor. That's between you and your doctor, how sick you may get. That's not for the school to worry about, and it's not for your employer to worry about. That's between you and your doctor. The vaccines do not prevent the spread of COVID. If it was once true, it isn't any longer. And you need look no further than the White House for proof of that. So it's COVID he has, not cancer. (laughs) We think, uh, even though he says he has cancer. (laughs) We're going to explain in one minute. Joining me now for the full show to discuss the president's diagnosis and so much more, the great guys from ruthless. And there's a new guy. He's not really a new guy. He's a new he's an old guy, but he's joined the cast. He was a sub. Now he's a full time cast member. And those who know ruthless from our show um, know him as John Ashbrook. John's here along with Michael Duncan, Josh Holmes and the man known to his Twitter minions as comfortably smug together. They are ruthless. Welcome, guys. Great to have you. Uh, It's so good to be back. Great to be back. All right, John, you folded right in there. How's it going for you so far? Oh, it's great. It's great. You know, we're going to get smug to tweet about this episode right after we finish. I think it's going to work just fine. <laughs> you notice, though, Megan, we, we brought him on in large part because of that voice timber. You hear that? I mean, that good. is some bass right there. It is good. I wonder, M- Michael, how did you feel about losing third base? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, John was always sort of our like Wizard of Oz behind the curtain working the soundboard. And it just didn't seem didn't seem fair, you know, to have that that great timber voice uh, not have a, a permanent mic. You can't lock that up. Can't lock that up. Yeah, you, know, you can't lock of, that up. You got to use all your tools. Um, yeah. Well, the White House using all of its tools right now to try to spin after days of trying to obfuscate on where the president was. Where is he? The reporters were asking, is he a little tired after Saudi Arabia? Oh, no, he's having important meetings, important meetings. Um, I think we've got that where they're really trying to tell us it's co-press secretaries now. Did you know that, by the way? Karine Jean-Pierre <laughs> has been such a disaster that they had to bring in John Kirby, formerly the Pentagon. Uh, and now he's basically got her back. And already the woke is like, why is a white man trying to cover for the black woman? Yeah, you know, you but <laughs> the woman sucks. She's not good. So whatever you want to back her up with, somebody needs to be there. And here's what they had been saying the president was up to in SOT 6. 
I noticed on the president's schedule the last two days, uh, there have been no public events. Is he resting after the large international trips? Well, the president's been busy. Just because you don't see uh, something necessarily on the public schedule doesn't mean that uh, there's not a lot of work going on. What exactly has he been doing yesterday and today? So he's been in meetings. I was uh, I was called. I was scheduled to meet with him today uh, uh, in in the Oval Office. So he's been meeting with his senior staff. I think some of you may have seen him when uh, when the the First Lady of Ukraine uh, was visiting visiting with our First Lady. Uh, I believe you saw uh, you saw him very briefly. Uh, so he's just been very busy uh, dealing with uh, the issues of the American people and meeting with his uh, staff and senior staff the last two days. Really? You, uh, you were scheduled? To, you didn't say you actually did meet with him. So what? They, they've been lying. They've been lying. <laughs> they, they, they lie about his health to us every day. If it's a day ending in Y. So we got another one. What do you make of it? Uh, I mean, look, yesterday was cancer. Today it's, it's you know, COVID. I'm glad it's not monkeypox. That's probably on the way. <laughs> I, but, but, but I mean, like, in all honesty, it's father time, right, Megan? I mean, that's the yeah. issue that we're dealing with here. It's not like this is going to get any better for him anytime soon. He could be fit as a fiddle, but uh, I, you just can't deliver even when he's feeling great. What, what, I, what I love is, you know, every day at the White House is now, where's Waldo? It's like, oh, yeah, you saw with, the, you know, the first lady of Ukraine. He was there in the background somewhere if you squint really hard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like you saw him very briefly at somebody else's meeting. <laughs> Wait a minute. Who's the president? You know, like so now we know I mean, he had he has. COVID. It's amazing how quickly like expectations have just gotten lowered to <laughs> it's expected every time he speaks, there's going to be a cleanup effort. You know, yeah. Glenn Kessler is going to come out and try to fact check and be like, he didn't actually say he, he has cancer. Then people reply with the video and he's like, OK, on, on, on reevaluation, he said he had cancer. That's fine, guys. That's totally normal for Wait, a president me... in a very advanced age to claim he has cancer. Let me when play he that. Claimed he had asthma. Other... Now he's got COVID. <laughs> like, what is this? Like, what is this? What, Diabetes. I don't know. This little Wait, from we, a president. We have to play that so people know what we're talking about. Yesterday, he was trying to make a comment about the environment and how climate change is an emergency, which we'll get to in one second as a bigger topic. But he slipped this in about him allegedly having cancer and maybe even having gotten it from an oil spill on his mother's windshield when he was a boy. OK, I don't watch. <laughs> I just lived up the road. I just in an apartment complex. When we moved to Delaware and because it was a four lane highway that was accessible, my mother drove us and rather than us be able to walk. And guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening. It had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. <laughs> That's why you hear it. That's why I and so many damn people with whom I grew up have cancer, have cancer, have. Then the White House I mean, came out and said, think about it, it kind of makes mean sense present when tense. it snows, oil cancer falls on your car and gives you cancer. <laughs> oil, cancer. Oil, 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 snowy oil cancer. Yeah, it gets every time. <laughs> it's, it's, it is a very dangerous epidemic. You should. And it's particularly endemic to Delaware. That's exactly right. What is he talking about? I grew up in Syracuse for 10 years. Oil cancer snowing. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I'm going to say 10 years of my life in the first 10 and then another four in Syracuse, New York. They only get 100 days of sun. All right. It's very snowy all the time and they never cancel anything. And I never once saw an oil snow. Not one time. I also grew up <laughs> with my mom driving me around. I mean, maybe I should be worried uh, like about the skin cancer from the oil snow. I don't 
<laughs> but nonetheless, the White House now saying, no, he doesn't have, he meant had, had cancer, skin cancers. And that before he went into office, the White House doctor said he had some skin cancers, non-melanoma, and he had Mohs surgery to get them removed. And it's because of all the time he spent in the sun. So which is it? <laughs> it's sunny oil snow cancer, Megan. I don't know why this is so difficult to follow. Like you're so critical. And I just wish you could see the clear diagnosis that he's been provided here that the American people, frankly, should look out for because this is the kind of thing that could really take hold in the community. It's like when you get the rainbow after both sun and rain, you get the skin cancer after both snow and oil. I mean, I do think it'd be fair to say that you would think he spent too much time in the sun. Like anytime you hear him speak, there's a possibility that the guy's had heat stroke when he's coming up with these ideas. Yeah. But like we're having a president try to declare a climate emergency and execute powers that he absolutely should not be. That should be left to the legislature. Like we still have a government, you know, even though our president clearly isn't all the way there. But he's declaring a climate emergency based on his belief that as his mother drove them on a highway, it snowed oil cancer. <laughs> and, and everyone's acting like this is normal. Like we were told so many times we have under President Trump, we had a great economy, right? Everything is going great. This is not normal. Well, this is not normal. I mean, mm -hmm. inflation's going up while well, the president's concerned about snow oil cancer. It doesn't make any sense. And also, so, if you go back to the quote, one of the things that I think is the funniest is that, like, he's got this unique experience where his mom drove him to school. Yeah. I mean, wow. That is really <laughs> something. Most of us uh, just went uphill both ways in the yeah, snow. Right. Uh, like, what is this, 1926? I guess it is. Yeah, that's next I level. Guess it, is. It, it used was like to be it was uphill snow both ways in the snow. Now it's oil cancer was snowing. Yeah. <laughs> right. I can run up you. <laughs> but did you have oil cancer snow? Ah, <laughs> so he's he was making those remarks because he's trying to alarm people about climate change. And it was sort of a want want in terms of actual prescriptions, because on Tuesday, the Washington Post had said he's going to come out and declare a national climate emergency. And that, of course, as we know from covid emergencies, opens up a whole host of executive powers where he could sort of require all this stuff of the energy industry that would have been very controversial and would have hurt, you know, inflationary uh, policies and would have hurt gas prices and so on. But nevertheless, the far left wanted him to do it. Well, he didn't do it. So his rhetoric sounded very much like he was about to do it. He, he ratcheted up, you know, the rhetoric about we're all going to die, basically. And then he he put on a little bandaid or two at the end with like, we're going to try to help you have more air conditioning, which makes sense. That actually makes sense. But it wasn't the prescription for what he was saying we're going through. Here's how he talked about it uh, yesterday on climate. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. The health of our citizens and our communities is literally at stake. The UN's leading international climate scientists call the latest climate report nothing less than, quote, code red for humanity. And our economy is at risk. So we have to act. Climate change is literally an existential threat to our nation and to the world. Folks, when I think about climate change, and I've been saying this for three years, I think jobs and the world is counting on us. OK, no, so he, what do you it's clear and present danger? 
Yeah, he, he sounds like Harold Hill from The Music Man, to be honest with you. <laughs> I mean, this guy, and I don't know, if, one of the best pictures that somebody caught video of his full motorcade rolling up to this climate press conference, and it's like 30 cars blowing smoke out of the tailpipe over a dirt road. Did you see the yeah. place where they picked yeah. to do that? It looked like it was in Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> After the Air Force One ride. <laughs> exactly. It's just so it's so bizarre, right? When they kind of sort through their priorities, the entire country is screaming at a decibel level that is deafening. Our prices are too high. Our gas prices are too high. Inflation is killing us. Please, for the love of God, focus on the economy. And he's like, yeah, you know, I got a good idea for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually uh, implement some climate change things that makes all of that stuff worse. And oh, by the way, when I hear climate change, I hear jobs. Yeah, that's what the same people think, too. But it's not creating jobs. It's losing them. Talk mm -hmm. to people in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, West Virginia. Talk to them about losing jobs. Man, this guy's done more to do that than anybody else. You know, and I think that's the entire Biden presidency in a nutshell is you have him surrounded by these far left activists who are now in the administration. And they are pushing concerns like climate change and wokeness when the American people are suffering through a terrible economy. And again, you can see he's surrounded by only Democrat consultants who are saying, oh, this is a comms issue. This is not a policy issue. And so he thinks if he can go out and trot, you know, get trotted out and give a speech, that's going to solve the problem. Meanwhile, what he has done is he's crippled American energy independence. He goes to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil, catches COVID, doesn't get the oil comes back and says he's going to make it worse for American energy independence. It's unbelievable. The prices mm -hmm. are going to keep going up because of his policies. He is upset, and so are the other Democrats in the press, that Joe Manchin killed his smaller version of Build Back Better on climate change. That was a $1.8 billion spend, which Manchin said no to. Sorry, trillion, $1.8 trillion. Manchin said, no, I'm not voting for that. Now they shrunk it to 300 billion for climate change measures. And Manchin said, we're not doing that. I don't know what how to make it clearer that now is not the time for additional federal spending when you know we've got record inflation at nine point one percent. It's not a good idea, fellas. And um, th they're freaking out. I mean, just a bit of sampling from the Democrats uh, and some in the media, too. But th th this is uh, Massachusetts Senator Edward Markey. Rage keeps me from tears. After the mansion thing, <laughs> okay, Leah Stokes, she's a professor of environmental policy at UC Santa Barbara, who's been advising the congressional Democrats. It is just infuriating that he, Manchin, is condemning our own children. You got Democratic Oregon Se Senator Ron Wyden. This is our last chance to prevent the most catastrophic and costly effects of ch climate change ever. David Axelrod, we are fiddling as the world burns. Okay, so. The American public doesn't see it that way. That New York Times poll last Monday said one percent think climate change is the top issue facing the country, just one percent. But the absurdity of this, like I love Michael Schellenberger. You guys know him, right? He wrote Apocalypse Never. Yeah. He was this left wing activist who worked for Greenpeace, who just devoted his life to fighting climate change and preserving the environment. And Solyndra, the, the solar panels, the whole bit. He was totally in it under Obama. And then he came to realize none of this is working. None of this is doing it. In fact, we're doing more harm than good. And we need to take an honest look at that. He's he put out a bunch of facts. First of all, even The New York Times is admitting this week, solar panels require 300 plus times as much land as conventional energy sources. And 
could, quote, contaminate groundwater with toxic heavy metals such as lead, selenium and cadmium. Um, so they're contaminating, contaminating the groundwater. They're um, taking up way more land than conventional energy sources were. Uh, they also require solar panels, forced labor, toxic materials and have terrible land use impacts. And um, the as far as the natural disasters go, it doesn't pan out like because they're looking at the heat wave right now saying Biden has to act. Look, people are dying. We're getting these record high temperatures. He's got to do something. So I like the air conditioning stuff that actually does save lives. Um, Charles Cook was saying, uh, what, what, I don't know his first name, but Mr. Carrier should have his face on Mount Rushmore. <laughs> the guy who invented air conditioning. <laughs> you know what? But I, here, I, I, that, let me give you a couple I'll, more stats, Obi, and then I'll give you the floor. Natural disasters have actually decreased 10% over the last two decades, not increased, right? Because the left is like, the, the heat wave and the wildfires and the earthquakes is all climate change. Natural disasters have decreased 10% over the last two decades. Deaths from natural disasters have declined dramatically. Hurricanes, while becoming slightly more intense, are becoming 25% less frequent. Floods, deaths, and damage has been steadily decreasing. Droughts have not been increasing in the United States or nationally. Uh, and on I, and on I could go. So the, so the media and the Democrats mislead us about the severity of the problem and then come out with the wrong prescriptions for America and lament people like Joe Manchin who want to say that's not the right prescription. And if I go with your false prescription, I'm only going to hike up in inflation. And the media just marches to the drum saying, yes, yes, yes. OK, that's my long wind up. What do you make of it? So I think the most important stat there was the New York Times poll, which said that one percent are concerned with climate change because this is an issue of the one percenters. They can take their private jets. They can go to their climate meetings and say, oh, we're so concerned. The world's on fire. But it's the 99%, the rest of us that are expected to have your paper straws, stop eating meat, eat bugs, you know, turn off yes. your air conditioning. Everyone else suffer while they can have their private chats and go to their meetings. Like, how long is, is the Democrat Party going to allow itself to become completely controlled by the wealthiest Americans and corporations that their concern at this point is what the, the jet set class is worried about and not what the rest of Americans are concerned about? The rest of America has to pay high gas prices. The rest of America has to try to make ends meet. And they're telling us that the prime thing we need to be worried about is the same alarmism they've been pushing for over 30 years, over 30 years at this point. We were told that the ozone layer is going to open up and that we're all going to die and get cooked. That didn't happen. Every time you hear these climate emergencies, when AOC says, oh, we've got three years to live, we've got five years to live. Every time when Al Gore had his uh, inconvenient truth, he was like, in 10 years, if we don't reverse this, we're all dead. We're all still here. We're then, all still here. That's why the right. left wingers inside his administration are telling him to do this Harold Hill routine. They're yeah. telling him, Biden, we need trouble. We got to say there's that's why he's saying we got trouble with a capital T and that rhymes with C and that stands for climate. He has to make trouble. Nobody it, else is going to pay attention it, if he doesn't. It would be funny if they actually got it done, though, for for one reason. If you're like a frontline Senate Democrat, like a Maggie Hassan, right, or a Catherine Cortez Masto, and you're dying for some accomplishment, right? And we're almost at the August recess. Like, you're going to have August town halls. You're going to have to meet with constituents. These people are running for re-election. And to be able to go into that room and be like, best I can do is more expensive gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I well, mean, that's right. The backwards nature of, of how they formulate a climate emergency with your stats that you just read is amazing. But their solution, we talk a little bit about this on the program from time to time, their solutions are equally insane. I mean, you mentioned the solar panels and the batteries and everything. Well, you They're know where obsessed. we get all that? We get it from China. 
right? Yep. So you're yes. taking these American jobs and you're transferring them over to China. You're making us not only energy reliant on the rest of the world that, by the way, doesn't have EPA standards. They don't have any sort of regulatory development for clean energy. You're kidding. And, and then <laughs> and then we take their stuff, buy it, put it in our infrastructure. Well, I, gotta, I can't imagine how that would be a bad idea, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that, these guys, it's like you if you intentionally made a prescription for what is worse for, for America, you wouldn't change a single thing. Well, the, the, the New York Times has finally come around to Schellenberger's articles from a, a year plus ago saying, you need to understand that solar panels and batteries have a lot of toxicity associated with them. And guess what? Guess what happens to the solar panels after 30 years? They get dumped because of their toxicity on a bunch of third world countries. There was just a big article about how the Europeans have been doing that. So you can feel really good about yourself out in California that you put solar panels in and then you killed a bunch of poor people 30 years later, quietly, while patting yourself on the back for being a kinder, gentler person. It's like they don't want to pay attention to the long term impact of these things, which, by the way, don't work. Unless the sun is shining, the solar panels don't work. <laughs> the, the, the batteries yeah. of the cars run out and, by the way, need to be powered by conventional energy sources and fossil fuels. Like they don't want to tell you the rest of the story. Yeah, you quoted Ed Markey, who said, think about the kids. Well, I'll tell you a group of kids he doesn't think about is kids in West Virginia, kids in Kentucky whose families had their jobs and their livelihoods absolutely stripped because of the ideology of these people, just because they, they're creating trouble or, because they want a different system. Or the, the poor kids in, in Africa and these mines who are digging out exactly. rare, rare earths and getting cancer, you know, to, to put a battery in a Tesla. Which also mm-hmm. like brings you back to the whole sort of corporate nexus of all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Because the administration itself and the left in general have put an entire amount of pressure on corporate America to, to implement these like ESG standards, they call it, right? Yes. Which is basically you can only finance certain things that ultimately fit their green energy agenda, right? And at the same time, they then are making America reliant on what you just said, right. kids mining in Africa, Chinese uh, solar panels, buying, trying to go to Saudi Arabia, of all places, to get the fuel that we need in America. I mean, it's the most anti-environmental thing you could come up with. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, now, and that's the thing. We don't have cheap energy as a result of these crazy policies, which makes people not have things like air conditioning. And that actually does lead to these deaths. So it's like, I appreciate FEMA stepping in to help people, but there's an easier way. If you could lower their energy costs, you could make Mr. Carrier's great invention even more ubiquitous. And we could help people out that way. But instead, we look at high temperatures and then wildfires, which result from poor forest management and say, climate emergency. Everybody get rid of their gas guzzling SUV, except for Joe Biden and Prince Harry. (laughs) And, And the thing is, is that, you know, when Holmes brought up ESG, it's a perfect encapsulation of this because this is a left wing money driven corporatist idea where they're using this alarmism, which is not which is based on emotion, not on fact. You never hear any of these Democrats or leftists discussing nuclear energy, which you can put a nuclear power plant anywhere. You can put it in West Virginia, you can put it in Kentucky. And the vast majority of jobs at a nuclear reactor are blue collar jobs. And it's been shown that it's safer and cleaner than any of these alternatives that they're they're they're, they're trying to put forward. Meanwhile, they're putting forward only ideas of, oh, why don't we import Chinese 
uh, solar panels made with slave labor. Why don't we import rare earths in Africa, which are causing kids to get diseases and to die and be killed and, and be and like the Boko Haram is running these camps for forcing kids. Like right. this is like terror groups who are involved in this. Yeah, I don't. I don't think all of that meets the standard for ESG. Yeah, you know. And if you want to know what ESG leads to, just look at what's happened in Sri Lanka. And I, I don't know if folks have paid close That's attention right. to what's happening in Sri Lanka, but they implemented ESG and they basically canceled all fertilizer, so there's not as much food as there was, and now people are hungry and they're they're like rioting well they over, overthrew the government they overthrew the government i mean yeah, yeah that's uh, look it, these people i think mean, for most of us we thought when joe biden was elected we lamented it because we knew we weren't going to make any any actual progress on enhancing the economy but i think most of us thought like all right this old dude's going to sit behind his desk and process social security checks for like four years right yeah. and it's yeah. the exact opposite i mean we're getting ideological completely brainless shit out of them that is making people's lives demonstrably worse this administration mm -hmm. is like far to the left of the obama administration which is stunning mm -hmm. yeah which wild. is yeah. stunning what did you guys mean you mentioned um the trip to saudi arabia and uh the meeting with mbs and the, the fist bump and you know this is because i don't know why we don't just get our own oil because we're more than capable of producing it here but we had to go bend the knee to the saudis try to try to get them to produce more and we walked away with as let me just check my notes um nothing Oh, oh no, Megan, Megan, he walked away with the new variant of COVID. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Biden, Biden's like the capuchin monkey in the outbreak movie. <laughs> He's brought it, movie. brought it back for all of us to enjoy. Yeah. Right. So like, what did we go over there and embarrass ourselves for? You know, some pariah. I don't fist bump pariahs. And I get the poor policy complications of dealing with the guys are bad, but I'm not the one who said I'm going to make a pariah out of him. Uh, that was Joe Biden. So he fist bumped the pariah. He went over there on bended knee, humiliated the United States, and so far appears to have gotten a bunch of bubkis for it. And, yeah. and it's such an indictment on the media where a great example is to so the Washington Post in their uh, endorsement of Joe Biden when he was running for president. They said that he's going to hold Saudi Arabia and dictatorships accountable for what they've done. And what does he do? He goes and fist bumps the guy who they say is, oh, he bones out one of our journalists. And then you see a Washington Post opinion saying like, ah, sometimes you got to deal with dictators. It's incredible. It's incredible. Yes. It's also just like the, the total idiocy of progressive left policies, right? You have to deal with Saudi Arabia at some point. What you'd like to do when you're dealing with Saudi Arabia is have maximum leverage, right? You want it mm -hmm. with any country, but particularly one that's, you know, has some hostilities towards us. You want to have maximum leverage. What gives you maximum leverage is energy independence. That's right. Right. When you go over there and all of a sudden your gas prices have hit a maximum high and you need something out of these people. Now, now you got a problem. Right. I mean, and that's the way these guys operate. It's just so dumb. Yeah. And we know that. Now, speaking of dumb, let's shift gears and talk about AOC. Oh. <laughs> Great sex. <laughs> she's defending herself today and her ridiculous fake handcuffs. Uh, act that she did and basically saying that it's just best practices to put your hands behind your back when you are arrested. She made sure she was arrested by blocking traffic at a Supreme Court right. demonstration um, over Roe versus Wade being overturned. Here she is acting as if the police have her handcuffed and they do not. And then she forgets she has the handcuffs on and she puts her fist up and forgets, you know, like when you're going to go method, you got to go full method. You got to like immerse yourself <laughs> in the real, like you are handcuffed, live it, live it, own it. 
Anyway, now she's mad that people are calling her out for her hypocrisy. She and Ilan Omar, who was even worse. Ilan's acting was even worse than AOC's and and saying it is misogynistic to suggest that she would fake handcuffs on her. That is what that is what people do to undermine women trying to make their point. What do you make of that? That's a ping pong. ball. I'm I'm glad you mentioned that they were blocking traffic because this was really a two part ruse. They're, they, uh, you, you are very familiar with how much space there is to demonstrate in front of the Supreme Court, to demonstrate in front of the Capitol. But if you're going to stand in the middle of the street, the police are going to have to move you out of the way. So they literally stood in the street knowing that they were going to moved out of the way so they could pull the, the handcuffs con. And uh, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a complete and, they're just and, a complete joke. And I think this is the thing is there's a couple layers to this. So what the Dobbs decision basically states is the letter of the law, the Constitution is going to be followed. If you want to have a law, you have to pass legislation, plain and simple. So what does a legislator do? Well, they stand out in the middle of traffic (laughs) instead of passing a law. This is not how you do something or accomplish anything. As a legislator, write a bill, pass a bill. You've got the majorities in the House, in the Senate, you've got the White House. And instead of that, they want to demonstrate. And here's the other thing is what they're trying to do is they're trying to normalize these attacks to undermine the Supreme Court. You had a month ago an attempted assassination of a Supreme Court justice. A crazy guy tried to kill Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And what has what has happened in the aftermath? You've got left wing lunatics who've continued to show up outside the houses of Supreme Court justices, which is illegal. You can't intimidate justices. You can't intimidate just judges in this country. You're not supposed to. You know, we don't have uh, an attorney general who cares about the laws. We don't have a president who cares about the laws. We have legislators who clearly don't care about the laws. And they're trying to normalize undermining the Supreme Court, trying to say that, oh, this is the Supreme Court. All the Supreme Court has said is that you have to pass laws to have laws. It's a very simple it's thing. It's so misogynistic of you, Spawn. Yeah. That's, well, just so, it's so <laughs> that's your misogyny Rem- rearing its ugly re- head. <laughs> remember, this opinion was leaked months ago. And the best they could come up with as a response to that <laughs> is to fake protests in the middle of the street, right? Yeah. Doing doing some yeah. protester cosplay. So true. <laughs> well, point to cosplay. progressives look at their re- legislators and they're like, dude, seriously? <laughs> and I, <laughs> so we got. And I think that's just telling of the left is like, these are people who are not interested in legislation. They are not interested in governing. They're interested in chaos. They want to have their way by a show of force. We saw it through a summer of riots of BLM. We saw it w- right now where legislators are getting arrested, fake arrested, trying to put on a demonstration instead of actually do Smug, their job. You don't, you don't understand. Don't th- it's, it's, this is the new way of legislating. Insta-thought. It's in, yeah. yeah, it's, it's an in, yeah. Instagram-based form of legislating. You don't pass That's laws, exactly you it. get likes. That's it's how it incredible. works. They don't want chaos. You're being too kind. That's what Putin <laughs> wants. She's no Putin. <laughs> she wants to be on camera. Ilan Omar is so dumb. Her office tweeted out before she even went there. Often the protesters who block traffic get arrested. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> can, we, can we go back to something you said at the beginning that I missed in this entire controversy, Megan? Is that mm-hmm. did she say honestly that she did it because that's the right way to like a police protocol yes. thing? She's having a Twitter fight with Nancy Mace, another congressional representative who said you're faking it. You were faking, you know, f- handcuffs. And she was like, not faking any anything. Everyone knows that best practices when one is arrested <laughs> is to place one's <laughs> hands behind the Nancy Mace is the so, so as not to escalate <laughs> the situation. 
Right. So she's like a couple days ago, she's complaining that the Capitol Hill police won't arrest some guy who's just using unkind words toward her. And now she's suggesting she's going to get a beating uh, if she walks with her hands down by her sides by these cops. I mean, I expect a lot of things out of AOC. To be an expert on police protocol is not one of them, right? This is not this is not a lady who I think has a lot of insight into law enforcement in this country. But it's demonstrated no. by the she literally led the defund police crowd, right? <laughs> so she's yeah. like, no, 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 this is what you do. This is how they makes the officers. No, she used a to be better. a bartender. Yeah, yeah, she wants to tell to me how to make blue. a Harvey Wallander. I'll listen. Yeah, I, I don't need to know from her how to place my hands as though she's had it done to her so many times. All right. So we've got we have so much more to get to with you guys. I mean, like, I don't know where to begin, but we're going to get to um, Chris Cuomo trying to be a firefighter until he realized how hard it was. (laughs) I've been dying to talk to you about that. I knew you're coming on today, so we saved it for you. More with the Ruthless crew coming up right after this. So, I mean, I I'm torn whether I ever want to talk about Chris Cuomo, but this is too good. It's just too good not to go there. So he got booted from CNN after crossing several ethical lines in defense of his embattled brother, Andrew Cuomo, who was the governor of New York until he got ousted over sexual harassment. Um, And we found out after the fact that Chris Cuomo was doing all sorts of things to help him that he had denied to his employer and to the public that he was doing. So he got ousted, too. And now the Daily Beast, Lachlan Cartwright over there, get this scoop. Okay, so in his downtime, uh, he's not working at the moment. He he okay. he applied to be a firefighter in East Hampton, which is, you know, the shushi town out in the Hamptons. Uh, It's a volunteer firehouse. But then he thought the better of it when he discovered the time commitment (laughs) required. He found out it's really hard to be a firefighter. And he withdrew his application after learning more from multiple fire chiefs. East Hampton Fire Department Chief Dwayne Forrester told the Daily Beast that the volunteer commitment includes monthly meetings and drill exercises, and each volunteer is required to answer a certain threshold of emergency calls. Forrester told the Daily Beast, quote, that's why we don't have many celebrities. (laughs) (laughs) Great quote. So this guy goes out there thinking he's going to make himself look good because everything with him is how do I make myself look good? And he couldn't even manage to to accept the training obligations because though he's unemployed, it was too much of a time commitment. I I actually think he's pretty well qualified for this. He's got a lot of experience putting out fires for his brother. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and don't forget Jeff Zucker at CNN. He's doing a lot of work on that, too. It's a natural transition in many ways. Well, he's also got some experience on the other side as an arsonist trying to burn down CNN from the outside now. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's immensely qualified for the position. It's like backdraft. You have to know the fire. That's right. (laughs) You have to know the fire. See it. Look at the face. And then he found out you actually had to help people. And he was like, ah, shit, I got nothing on that. <laughs> yeah, forget that. Oh, it's so it's just it's so classic, right? And it's like it's kind of an insult to to real firefighters to think like I can just phone this one in. Maybe I could get in the calendar. You know, it, maybe the chicks will swoon. It's like you know what? You actually have to risk your life. It actually takes a ton of training. Um, it takes a certain mental toughness that he definitely does not have. And uh, as soon as they showed him the list, he was like, "Oh, forget about it. Hell no!" And probably wasn't thinking it would come out. But God bless these. But these fi- actual firefighters who mm, appear to have leaked it. 
<laughs> if you can't make the cut in the Hamptons, I'm just saying, like, you know, nothing against the Hamptons, but like, if you can't make the cut there, my guess is like, that's pretty much the end of the run, right? right? Yeah. right. Yes. Now, I'll take you guys back to a, a kinder, gentler version of Chris Cuomo. Um, when he was at CNN, his BFF was Don Lemon. And their sick little love fests on air there were just absolutely nauseating to the audience, judging from the numbers. And now in his latest filing against CNN, because he's still suing them for tens of millions of dollars, saying he was wrongly terminated. He's completely thrown his old buddy under the bus. Uh, the love fest is no more because he's pointing to Don Lemon as an example of somebody who's absolutely awful when it comes to a journalistic ethics who never got touched by CNN management. They didn't they didn't punish him. So just to walk you down memory lane, here's the two of them in kinder, gentler, more loving times. I See you tomorrow wait. night. Not at- <laughs> you just <laughs> you are so weird. Whatever, but it's weird because you know me. I mean, and you're worse than me. You're a bigger hugger and kisser than I am, right? It's true. Um, <laughs> it is true. Sometimes I'm like, Chris, stop. When were we ever greater than we are today? Boy, more free, more inclusive. Miller plays. Songs, Songs that made that the hit parade. Guys, guys like us, we had it made. I have a card for you. <gasps> oh. And there you go. It's oh, beautiful. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew you would think it was beautiful because you're surrounded. One of the things I love most about what people take from our friendship, I mean, we're friends anyway. If it didn't work on TV, we'd still be friends often. <laughs> she, our old LaSalle, LaSalle ran great. great. That's exactly what this <laughs> is. Those were the days. Uh, oh, my God. There are people who are willing to my mouth. this? <laughs> well, not, not many. many. Not many. No. No, I, I like I, I'm actually sort of speechless. Yeah. I don't know what to say. I'm so gross. I mean, I'm, gr- I'm grossed out by what we just saw. It's just proof that, you know, how just what a bunch of phonies they are. Just you vacant, know? just vacant human I, beings. I, I think he I think Cuomo also kind of thinks himself a tough guy. But then he's, you know, tries to sign up to be a firefighter and suddenly it's too much. I mean, work. that's the thing is who would have thought someone like that doesn't have actual skills that can be used outside. Right. Of the- <laughs> I can't believe you guys are like talking like we didn't just witness what we just saw. Like, don't you need a moment to recover? I'm not yeah. ready to go on. Yeah. Honestly, I'm still working on it, Megan. It's like I, that uh, is really rough. What that? What was that? I. I can't believe it's no. Thank God Jeff Zucker's fired and, and Cuomo's fired and Don Lemon should definitely be fired soon. Um, that was disgusting. It's no wonder nobody watches them. And so now the, tr- the flip, OK, the flip um, in his latest filing, he points out that um, Zucker and his lover, Gallist, who worked for him, too, who he promoted up the ranks year after year after year. And according to many people, including the Rolling Stone, they were having an affair for decades. Um, Zalas and Zucker, Gallus and Zucker. They were willing to overlook major transgressions by CNN personalities such as Don Lemon, who was even who was eager to engage in blatant misconduct. He goes on to say this is Chris Cuomo's filing, saying, um, for example, in November 2021, Empire actor Jesse Smollett testified that Lemon personally warned him that Chicago police did not believe his false accusations of a cri- of a hate crime. Lemon's consulting with the embattled actor constituted a flagrant breach of journalistic ethics. Cuomo's team wrote uh, intervening in the ongoing inter- investigation by texting uh, Smollett was an inexcusable breach of ethics. The filing argued that CNN did nothing. Lemon was not disciplined in any way. A far cry from 
this one where Don Lemon learned that Chris Cuomo had COVID something. Sorry, I said I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> Jesus, he's probably sitting at home laughing at me. So here's the thing. Um, um, he's, I have to, when I walk into work every day, and Chris and I are really good friends. We live near each other. And so when I walk into work every day, I have to walk by where Chris is. So I usually like go to his office and I say, oh, you know, and what's doing? Sometimes I bring the dogs and we just say hello. Anyway, he's just not here. And we have this great relationship. Oh, my God. He's holding the tissue, da dabbing his Who would have guessed that's a dysfunctional eyes. workplace? <laughs> <laughs> how, did he how did he stop with Lemon, right? I mean, like, where's the potato in that transgression that he was filing? But I did, like, when I heard the filing, what you were reading off in the Jesse Smollett thing and everything else, yeah. like, what's that meme of the dude who is, like, the worst person in the world just said something I agree with? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the only thing I could think of. But like he could put the entire primetime set of CNN for the last four years on that same filing. And I'm, yes. I'm sure it would probably prop Hello. up his case. Jeffrey Tubin, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> Cuomo, meanwhile, you say he likes to be seen as a tough guy. 100 percent. So he's tweeting or I don't know, Instagramming. My team finds this stuff. I do not follow this man. Um, Instagram about some sort of a comeback. And would you I'm going to describe this for the audience that's listening. But it, again, you're going to. What does it say on the screen there? Okay, he's got a cigar. He's showing his muscle. Something's coming. He's showing his muscle, his muscle, his cigar, his muscle, his cigar. Something's coming. Oh, There's his muscle and his cigar again. Honestly, I've never... He's running with, he's running like, with uh, catch line. Right? You, I, I, it's just incredible. This is just incredible the, divorced dad energy right now. <laughs> what a this, so this, this man this has no so testosterone cool. in his body. There's no testosterone. There's nothing. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, he's a horrible he lover. This. There's just no so way... Anybody who has any sort of testosterone and is able to perform in bed does not put out muscle, muscle, muscle. They don't do it. I'm saying it. It's clear. It's an overcompensation. Megan, you're saying that he put this out himself like he yes. like this isn't something that the, the show made up. This is something yes. he did himself. He I'm telling you, he thinks he's hot. He thinks he's <laughs> something sexy. He thinks those ridiculous barbell videos and that stupid cigar muscly thing is actually going to turn somebody on. I've got hold on, Megan. I have a very, very important PSA for your staff. Um, when you're following a Cuomo on Instagram, uh, close the DMs. I, I feel like we have ample proof that there is there's danger there. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'm glad you don't follow this man. But the staff, I know they're just doing their jobs. But, you know, head on a swivel out there. <laughs> it's true. It's a big risk. Well, who knows whether he's going to stay independent or sign on with one of these, you know, lesser known cable competitors. But I have zero desire to see the Chris Cuomo act return to town. And as I, I have no problem with him trying to make a living, um, everybody should be should try. But there's not going to be any audience for him. Uh, there, that's clear. There's a reason. I mean, CNN it, got rid of him. So the got rid of him. so clearly the Fredo of that family. So clearly the Fredo. Like his brother was governor, his dad did it. He's the leftover. So he had to grow up and they had to find a role for this dummy. CNN's like, okay, we'll take him. You can do PR for your brother and that'll give us access to the governor's mansion. But he has absolutely zero skill set. It's so clear. Poor guy. I mean, he looks <laughs> yeah. awful. This video, the video she just showed reminds me. Remember when he, his other comeback, when he emerged from the basement oh, yeah. after Another. COVID? Oh, you guys remember, well, do you yeah. remember this? Well, so he, that reminds me. Up. So the, the, 
the Cuomo sort of, you know, drama over COVID, which was clearly an act. I mean, obviously that was an act emerging from the basement and his like night terrors where he lost a tooth. I mean, give me a break. Right. It's like, what a joke. It's like, and especially with some 2020 hindsight, you know, it's like that's a joke. He was a young, healthy man, very fit, as you'd be sure to point out. Uh, there's no way any of that stuff happened. So anyway, um, but COVID is making a comeback, as you may have seen, this sub sub variant of Omicron. And now not just are they pushing for more mask mandates, but once again, out in San Diego, OK, California, um, the school board president has a message for the students who don't want to wear the masks. And it's basically take your story walking Bye, get out. Listen to this woman. Parents who who don't want to wear a mask indoors in school, are there any other options for them? For the fall, there are some options. They can go to our uh, school that's online. Um, They can opt not to return to the regular school, but to go to the school where they don't have to go to school at all other than via Zoom. And um, that's the easiest way for folks. What about the summer school? What if they were already enrolled in the summer school and now they get this mask mandate and they're not comfortable with wearing a mask? They really should wear the mask. But if they're not not comfortable, what should they do? They should just let make it known that they don't feel comfortable. And at that point, just not return. Just don't come back. Don't come to school. Okay, public schools, children, don't come if if you're uncomfortable wearing the mask. That just shows the absolute need for the funding that goes towards education should be the student and not the institution. The money should follow the kid. The, the parents should have the ability to put their children in a school, whether it's homeschooling, whether it's a private school. The funds should be directed at the child, not at the institution, because these people have a monopoly. They feel so comfortable being like, well, just don't show up. We'll still get the tax money. Who cares? How do you get the job of being one of these people? Like, honestly, I, I, I guess ostensibly they're supposed to be an expert in education at some level. Right. But we're now, what, two years into this situation. There is I'm not an expert on education, but occasionally you run, you run into stats. Right. They just hit you in the face. And it turns out that the education gap of people who had to go to schools like this monster is presiding over mm-hmm. is absolutely horrible for the children. That's right. they, their achievement gaps have widened predominantly in low income and minority districts. They have they have online classes do not work. They have never worked for kids that are under college age. And you have a question about that even above. The, it, what it's done to our society is horrific. Now, if you just stop the education component, how about we look at some COVID stats? The president of the United States is four times jab. You just got COVID, right? What the hell is a mask going to do for that? Absolutely right. nothing. Like we already know what COVID is. COVID is a coronavirus that has been around for a millennia. Like we understand what COVID is and how it makes a variant. Like that's what the seasonal flu is, you jackass. Like I don't understand how they get into a place where they still feel comfortable mandating these kind of things with a body of evidence all around them, like just yeah. pick up a goddamn book. And, and and not just the the education performance, but just the mental health of these children. Right. I mean, yeah. the depression, the social skills that aren't developing. It's it's I mean, it's monstrous is what it is. Well, I'm glad you and mentioned like, the president, for, because for while what? they're making these kids wear masks, the White House just released a photo demonstrating that Biden is still at work now that he has covid. He's not wearing a mask in the picture. So. <laughs> 
So he wears a mask every day except for the day he has COVID. <laughs> masks the kids don't have to wear prevent masks. COVID. The vaccines don't prevent COVID. You can wear an N95 mask if you want to protect yourself from some droplets, but school mask mandates don't work. And they've done study after study that show that, including the CDC, but the media buries it. The ruthless hosts will be right back with us after this quick, quick break. So, okay, guys, there is an issue with Starbucks. Now, I never go to Starbucks. I don't like Starbucks coffee. I never have. It's too like bitter. Just not my cup of tea, so to speak. Um, Dunkin' Donuts, getting closer to what I like. New York City deli coffee. Boom. That's the one. That's the best, better than any of the other nonsense and cheaper, too. And I don't want to buy coffee in any place that requires me to say the size of the cup in a different language. Screw you. (laughs) I think it's a small, a medium, a large. Take your high flute and attitude and take a walk. So I'm not a huge Starbucks fan to begin with. But a couple of years ago, while I was still at NBC, they announced a new policy whereby they were going to allow anybody to come into Starbucks, even if it wasn't a paying customer, and use Starbucks and use the bathrooms and do whatever the hell they wanted in Starbucks. And for those of you who think that I didn't speak my mind while I was at NBC, (laughs) go back and look at my coverage of Brett Kavanaugh and look at moments like this one where I raised on a panel of people who are maybe differently aligned ideologically. The fact that this was a disaster in the making. And I went on after this clip that you're going to see. But watch the part of this that's getting, you know, lambasted is now you don't have to buy anything to go into the Starbucks. You don't have to buy anything to use the restroom. And so paying customers are now well, and here's, here's the issue complaining. Is that, I, I see the other side of it. I mean, I think some of these people don't have places to go. Um, I've seen people sit in our local Starbucks here in New York City that that are homeless, that don't have another place. But that's and, not the solution. But, Jen, but, it's a but there well, are places for the not. homeless. Of course, it's not a solution, but it's also compassionate. And there's a question about whether a commercial establishment is that should, place. Yeah. Is that place for the paying customers who go? in with their kids? And do you, do you really want to, you know, deal with a mass of homeless people or whoever's in there mm-hmm. could be drug addicted? You don't know. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, I'll get to the answer because it's been answered uh, this week about whether people do want to deal with that. But can I just spend one minute on the reaction to that segment? It went totally viral. Uh, we, my producers pulled just a couple of headlines for you. Uh, salon, Megan Kelly slams Starbucks for allowing non-customers to use bathroom. And the body of the piece was not that flattering. You'll be shocked to hear. Um, bustle. <laughs> Megan Kelly. <laughs> Megan Kelly's not happy that Starbucks will let, quote, a mass of homeless people use its bathrooms. Daily Beast. Megan Kelly frets that the homeless could take over Starbucks. Newsweek, same. On and on it goes. Um, and now today we get the announcement from the Starbucks CEO, Howard Schultz. They are closing 16 profitable stores profitable stores all in left-leaning cities like L.A., Philly, Portland, Oregon, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and so on. Howard Schultz, the president of Starbucks, saying America has become unsafe. And my employees in these stores feel unsafe as a result of his dumbass policy. Listen. I don't have to spend too much time on what's going on in the country and how America has become unsafe. It has shocked me that one of the primary concerns that our retail partners have is their own personal safety. And then we heard the stories that go along with it about what happens in our bathrooms. The issue of mental illness, the issues of homelessness, and the issues of crime. Welcome, 
Howard, come on in. The water's fine. If you just keep your eyes open, it's very clear what these stupid left leaning woke policies are going to lead to closure of profitable stores. They're reversing the policy. They're not going to require this anymore. And they said, quote, the bathrooms have in large part. This is uh, from an article writing it up, uh, but, but based on what he said devolved into dens of debauchery regularly used by vagrants and homeless to do drugs and engage in other illicit behavior. The company will now give staffers discretion to deny free access to the store's bathrooms. What do we make of this? (laughs) My my first observation, Megan, you're absolutely an agony of defeat, gal, as we do on our podcast, because like all the amazing things that you do in your career, you don't even talk about for a minute, but you remember every <laughs> single time they came at you. Right? <laughs> like, like, I just, love it. It's so perfect. I love that. I mean, obviously you were right. I was a little, a little shocked. You didn't even get any backup from a bush on that deal. It's like you versus the world on, uh, on that Jenna's panel. not conservative. She's not a conservative. Not, she's yeah, no, no I G- think that's George fair. I think that's a fair yeah. assessment, but. I mean, obviously, right? I mean, that's what you were pointing out. Obviously, this is like the, the, when you don't enforce crime, crime happens. When you let Amazing. homeless people into your into your store, uh, you know, substandard stuff happens. But for, but for the left, and you saw it there in the clip, their solution doesn't actually have to work. It just has to be compassionate. That's the only thing they care about. And it's the same thing we're seeing with the southern border right now. Well, now that crisis of all of these migrants who've been shipped all across the country are now on the doorsteps of Mayor Adams in, in New York City. And now suddenly their policy of com- compassion has come to their front doorstep and they don't like it so much. <laughs> and I think that's the I think that's the heart of the issue is that their belief that this kind of uh, allowing this to happen is compassionate allowing and enabling addiction is somehow compassionate this is that's not compassionate at all letting people suffer through drug addiction rather than you you know you see it in new york city you see in all these woke cities where they think the solution is you let the homeless do whatever they want let them just come further into addiction let them start assaulting people that's 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 compassion it's completely misguided these people need help they don't need who? to be in a commercial area. Taxpayers are already paying for homeless shelters and services that can be provided to these individuals. Why should it be upon private businesses to have to carry the workload for misguided government policies from these woke people who think they're compassionate when they're just enablers? I would like to well, augment like this policy. Soros. I would like to augment this policy a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. be able to deny entry to people who are going to shoot up drugs in your bathroom, but also kick out the grad student working on his 10th rewrite of his screenplay. It's okay. not happening. It's not it's happening. so true. Get out. Like, I want to sit there for five minutes when I go into these stores, not Starbucks. But yeah, they, they sit there all day. It's like, get a damn office space for the love of God or work in your mother's basement. But Howard Schultz and George Soros both made the same mistake. They looked around at their beautiful, well-heeled neighborhoods and they were like, yes, let's do something to help, you know, but they don't have to live with the consequences of their decisions. And so I'm going to guess that a fair amount of the baristas who take a job at Starbucks are pretty woke and pretty left. And even they having to live it on the front line said, this is insane. And honestly, having lived in New York City for the past 17 years, I walked many times by homeless people who were obviously dangerous. And my kids, you know, you'd hold their hands a little tighter. You'd walk a little faster. You'd say, don't don't make eye contact because they'd be yelling like motherfucker, you know, like at your kid, like, you know, I'm going to get you. You're like, just walk, just walk. And now they're going to bring it into this to the Starbucks. And my little kid's going to have to use the restroom. And I'm going to have to say, just step over that man and his needle. 
and you don't know what's going to happen. These guys are strung out on drugs. Not every one of them, but uh, fair enough. One guy chased us through the park, like chased us and we were running. It's like you don't know what you're welcoming in. Okay, so you can be in your ivory tower saying how kind and, you know, compassionate this is going to be all you want. It's not kind and compassionate to my then five year old who got the daylight scared out of him where he had to run. He had to run because some homeless person had been allowed into a space he should not have been allowed. Oh, 100 percent. Also, there's a real blind spot for mental health with the left. You notice that? Yep. It's the one thing they never want to talk about with with any of these situations, whether it's homelessness, violence in schools. I mean, you name it. They like mental health is just something that they can't grasp. Well, if they actually tackled mental health, there wouldn't be a left. So I think that's probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, compassion might be one part of it, but I think that there are some people that subscribe to this woke ideology that literally just want to tear our society down. They see something that's working well and they don't want it to work well anymore because they hate America. They literally want our country to be a terrible place. So um, on this front, okay, the woke eating its own. My producer, Debbie, Canadian Debbie, has been trying to get me to talk about this for, I don't know, five days now. And you guys are my victims. Um, There is a woke coffee shop, all right, that has now had to close down. It's in Philadelphia. It's called Minna's World. I think it's Minna. It's M-I-N-A. Mina. Okay, sorry, Deb. Uh, It opened in just 2020 and was known for its LGBTQ brand identity. Tons of great reviews over the years. You got 2020 Bon Appetit calling it a hangout spot for people of marginalized identities. Uh, Complex, which I guess a magazine mentioned Mina's world as a lovely and queer and trans owned and celebrated it. You've got two owners, uh, Sonam Parikh and Kate Eggert, who claim this is the city's first coffee shop owned and operated by queer trans people of color. All right. This is important for some people to just state all of their identities so that they can lure in the groups that they want. Parikh said, I've worked in coffee since I was 18. Most of the workplaces were really toxic in the sense that workers were not being paid well and the white ownership neglected to protect their black and trans employees. I knew there needed to be a space where you could have an amazingly made cup of coffee that's not whitewashed. But then, <laughs> but then the mutiny began because no one is safe and the woke love to turn on their own. It started last month. An Instagram page called the Mina's World Workers began posting accusations against the ownership. Quote, oh, we yes. are facing systemic employer opposition, manipulation, abuse of power, exploitation, anti-blackness, ableism, hostility and complete disregard for our livelihoods. The list of grievances included anti-blackness in a multitude of forms and occasions, ableism in the form of inaccessibility, etc., etc., manipulation, tokenization as a way to appear safe by association. Now, here's the list of demands, okay? Public acknowledgement and accountability for grievances and harm caused. The second, immediate payment to staff that have had payment withheld, including back pay. And here's the capper. The owner must redistribute the business and begin the process of transforming the business into a cooperative. So you no longer get to own it. We need to own it. And then comes the hostage video from Sonam Parikh and Kate Eggert, who completely capitulate. Watch. Watch. We are complicit in the gentrification and anti-blackness on 52nd Street. We put our community 
at risk with our presence um, as well as our workers. The workers of Minas World deserve so much more and our ultimate goal is to return the space to them. We can raise the funds to turn over the space to them and to make sure that they get to have Minas World in the way that they have envisioned it and rightfully should have it. Totally folded. Good. Okay, and here's the post. Here's the here's the post. Let me give you the post. The Maoist struggle session. You actually just saw a Maoist struggle session. The building where Mina's world, and for those of you listening, I mean, the two owners look like they're straight out of Central Casting with a different color hair and the weird, like whatever, the effeminate man. Uh, Not that there's anything wrong with that. The building where Mina's world was located was owned by Kate's mother. Okay, so she wants to. Kate wants to redistribute. Great, go to mommy. Tell her to redistribute. The mommy was like, hell no. The mom owns not only the building, but 18% of Mina's world. And now, according to Sonam and Kate, the mom refused to redistribute the business and wound up listing the building, selling it. It's done. No more uh, non-whitewashed coffee for you. It's done. And I love everything about this story. The grown-ups are back in control. (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing story. That is fantastic. Your producer deserves an incredible amount of credit for coming up with that. The two people who run the joint, I mean, fantastic. You couldn't (laughs) cast them in years. I mean, that's what I mean. It's like if you you actually tackle the mental health crisis, there will be no less. (laughs) Look at what these people are doing to themselves and what they want to do to us. Well, the list of demands is just like lib you know, Mad Libs. Yeah. It's, it's mad literally lips. Mad Libs. But then you get to the end of it, right? And it's like, oh, it all needs to be redistributed, right? And then you realize all these people are just Marxists. That's and, and they yeah. dress up Marxism as they have for the last hundred years with the terms of the day, tokenization or anti-blackness, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, they're just like socialists who want to take everybody else's stuff. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Right? And they came and they took the shit away also, from the store. I've never, yes. never heard of whitewashing coffee is that you just coffee? put a little cream yeah. in it or <laughs> what the most ridiculous <laughs> accusation like i like my coffee black it doesn't need pronouns <laughs> and, and i think that's a prime example of if you give these crazy people an inch they will take everything that they yes. can you can't yes. you cannot in any way humor any of this ridiculous madness like the, the pipeline from from professors coming up with these crazy ideas at oberlin to becoming mainstreamed and the media starting to repeat and parrot these crazy ideas. It's like at light speed at this point. All of this is just absolutely ridiculous. We have a country that's almost 300 years old that's founded on these principles that have worked and who someone with purple hair who's 18 is going to explain to us like actually everything you've been doing is wrong. You can't let these people get anything. (laughs) (laughs) I got two years until those people are daily listeners to Steve Bannon's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> this is more more direct pipeline than you think, I think. <laughs> so there you're right because if you give these woke activists an inch they will take a mile and we saw that just last night i'm sure you guys have heard about what happened to dave Chappelle, who yeah. was booked to perform in minneapolis at a venue called first avenue and it's not like the dave Chappelle controversy with his comments about the trans community has been a little seen news item, right? Like, nor has like the JK Rowling tweets, you know, like people know Dave Chappelle, most anybody paying any attention know that he he got into some trouble uh, for those Netflix specials where he he made some jokes about trans people, made some commentary about trans people and Netflix stood behind him and he makes $20 million a special and he's doing just fine. But nonetheless, someplace called First Avenue, a venue, booked him. And um, good for them, right? We like that. 
free speech. Let him do his thing. You don't want, you don't like his jokes. Don't show up. Nope, that wasn't enough. They were pressured into canceling the comedy show last night. I think it was last night after backlash. And now First Avenue has posted the following Instagram message to the staff, the artists, the community, blah, blah, blah. We hear you and we are sorry. We know we must hold ourselves to the highest standards and we know we let you down. We are not just a black box with people in it. And we understand that First Ave is not just a room, but meaningful beyond our walls. We and you have worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country. And we will continue with that mission. We believe in diverse voices and in the freedom of artistic expression. But in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact this would have. <laughs> oh, my we, God. We you know, know there's some so who will not disagree. We welcome uh, your feedback. I'll give you a little background on First Ave was one of the primary primary concert venues for Prince when he first started and came up through the music ranks. And, and when I was a kid living in, in a suburb of Minneapolis, that place was like a mecca of bringing in all kinds of different music, like everything from like country and Southern rock to, you know, Prince and, and, you know, anything else that was driving the day it was kind of grunge back when I was growing yeah. up was their thing. And so like, for a venue that's as well established as that to then get to a place where they are booking Dave Chappelle, which I'm not surprised by, because I mean, that's a, it is an important venue, but then to cancel it with words like that. I mean, that is the saddest deterioration of a once great institution that I've heard in a long time. Mm. One that's the safest space. Our, our, we've worked hard to make our venues the safest spaces in the country. That sounds horrible. Oh, it's unreal, man. It's unreal. I mean, uh, this is Dave Chappelle, like for them to put this kind of thing, like you're not letting a comedian tell jokes. It's really gotten to that point where mm-hmm. you can't express any sort of humor. These people have no humor. They, they, like we just saw in that earlier segment, they just want to destroy things. They want to come in. They want to take over. They want to destroy it. And it's unbelievable that they can't they literally can't take a joke. It's just so it's you know, just so dramatic. I mean. It's got a great history, obviously, but it's a it's a concert venue, right? And they're writing a press release like like it's a civil war or something like that. I mean, for crying out loud, it's so dramatic. It reminds me a little bit of the Ilya Shapiro thing at Georgetown Law, where yeah. they oh, yeah. they let him come to work there because his tweet criticizing Biden for saying I'm I'm only going to pick a black woman for this new newly vacated Supreme Court seat. He he had an ill worded tweet. And they punished him with some investigation into him. And then they let him come to Georgetown Law because they said "Mm, the tweet wasn't when you were working for us. And Ilya wound up saying, you know what? No, I'm not doing it. This is quicksand. No. But in their explanation about like where they stand on all of this, they basically said we are committed to free speech and the freedom to express one's opinion. But it has to be done sensitively. (laughs) It has to be done with, you know, sort of these woke concerns in mind. That's my paraphrase. And listen again to this statement that they that they made in this First Avenue um, statement. They, they write, we believe in diverse voices and the freedom of artistic expression. But but in honoring that, we lost sight of the impact it would have. <laughs> so, no, you don't believe in the freedom of expression because your real mission is to have, quote, the safest spaces in the country. The two things are indeed incongruous. And we really are at a tipping point for for America, for businesses, for citizens, where we have to choose. You are going to have to choose. 
Yeah. And I don't think we're afraid of it anymore. You know, I mean, the rest of us who are sitting around, I, I think spent the last part of the 20 years watching the progressive left march into this situation. And all of us, you know, look, we focus on our own lives and our own stuff. And so like, you know, you want to go do what you do. That's fine. But now it's gotten to the point where they're actually like first Ave here. So supposed to celebrate art, supposed to celebrate free speech. And they're driving that down your throats. I think the vast majority of the American people are like, go fuck yourself. I'm not interested Mm -hmm. in any of that shit anymore. And now I'm actually going to speak out about it for the first time. I mean, you can see people rising up who you never thought would have strong opinions on any of this, who've just had it. They've just had it. And these people are the ones that are creating this larger rift because it is, I mean, look, we're going to have an election in a few months. And I I think the cultural issues that we're talking about, in addition to the economy, are going to play a central role. We're not interested in the progressive left's view of America anymore. Yep. And I think that's key. And that's a very important thing to say is that for a while now, uh, conservatives have thought, okay, I just want to be left alone. I just want to be left alone. And that's kind of been the current, but now it's at the, it's like in nature, you know, it, 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 if a deer wants to be left alone, a wolf's not going to leave it alone. Right. And the left has become a wolf. They want to impose their will, whether you want it or not. And now is not the time to be like, well, I don't, you know, I just want to be left alone at this point. They're taking over institutions. You know, if they're deciding what a comedian, where a comedian can perform. Yeah. If, if they're trying to, it, they're even taking over a coffee shop because the people with purple hair aren't woken well, up. Well, I, I like I actually like our odds because these people are just absolutely ridiculous. You'd mentioned J.K. Rowling earlier. I don't know if anybody's seen this news, but Quidditch, the fictional made up game from these Harry Potter books that she wrote, they're going to like rename the game Quidditch uh, because, you know, J.K. Rowling said something insensitive to transgender people or something like that. You would think that adults playing a made up game from books from t- for 10 year olds <laughs> would be embarrassed by that. But no, they can't be associated with J.K. Rowling, the author. That's how ridiculous these people are. And we got to point that out every time something like this happens. Totally. The um, it ran the Randy Weingarten headed teachers union, right? Second largest union in the country just did a study. I think it was of seventeen hundred people. And it showed that the Republicans now have a one point edge on education. OK, this is her group. This is her group, far left. Uh, Democrats used to have double digits uh, lead over the Republicans on the generic ballot when it came to education. The Republicans are now leading by one point. But the fact that they're leading is a major news headline. And one of the things that they're saying that the voters are saying is enough with a constant focus on social issues. Right. And I think that's what the electorate is saying to enough with a constant focus on social issues. Like, I don't think they want to see Dave Chappelle punished for having a view that most people have, which is a biological man cannot be a woman. There is a difference. There's a difference between a trans woman and an actual woman. And there are meaningful differences, right? And we can still be respectful, but we don't have to ignore the meaningful differences. Just just today, the Women's March, I mean, which is a joke of an organization. Who, what women do they stand for? Not me. I guarantee you I've done more for women than the Women's March has. Guarantee you I've lived a life that's yes. helped a lot more people than they have. But do you have a hat, pussy Megan, hats. Do you have a hat? <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't wear a dumbass hat. And I don't even normally say the P word, but they made me. Um, Their tweet is as follows. Trans women are women. That's it. That's the tweet. No, they're not. They're biological men who have gender dysphoria and have chosen to live their life trying to appear as and act as women. And I can be respectful of that choice, but I don't have to deny science and reality to do it. They're not women. They're biological men 
who want to live as women. Okay, that's fine. No problem. That doesn't make them women. And I just think like this is coming back to haunt the Democrats in the way that you just said. You know, right, right? It's like homes. People are have had it with this. The, the reason it's like all these Latinas who are like, no, our community doesn't believe in this nonsense and I'm going to run for office and win. You know, the people responding to the American Federation of Teachers, the union saying, nope, I'm sick of you pushing this on our kids. I think you're right. The Dave Chappelle stuff, people have had it one by one. More and more people are going to be on the Steve Bannon podcast or something like it because they they're sick of this narrative. Yeah, no, I 100 percent right. It's it's completely absurd. I mean, just to go back to the the transsexual tweet, I mean, to personalize that anybody with a daughter who's interested in, in participating in sports, that's now something you have to think about. Right. And you, you have to think about not only competing amongst other women and girls, but now you have a whole nother subset that, you know, is winning. And you've got magazines that are that are saying that people are women of the year that are actually biologically born men. I mean, colleges, how can that be? How can you be any more anti-woman than that? And I, I just don't think it's a stretch. I just don't understand it. Well, there was this great tweet yesterday from Omri Saran, who works in Ted Cruz's office, where uh, he had a screenshot. The National Women's History Museum, the top three biographies that they feature are all uh, trans men to female, male to female individuals. The top three women now. Trans women. Trans women. I'm sorry, Rosa Parks. You don't belong (laughs) on the top of this website. I mean, seriously. Like, that's the most offensive thing about all of this is that celebrating trans women has to come at the expense of women. Right. Why is that? You know? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the real irony, because if you think about it and and I if I picture a trans w- woman, I picture a woman, I picture somebody who looks like a woman. But the truth is, it's a biological man. It's a man. You know, I mean, it's somebody who's got male gamete, gametes, sperm and so on like that's that you can't that can't be undone. Um, and so what the people really pushing this messaging are biological men at the expense of biological women, right? And then when biological women stand up and say, shut the hell up, you may not compete in our swimming or our soccer or our wrestling, whatever the tournament is. It's really a biological man on the other side saying, yes, I can, right? And they're weird, woke, Upper West Side biological women allies who've abandoned the, the real differences between the sexes when they count. Yeah. And I- I just don't know how you can shame them into doing anything else. I mean, Slug, you, you do a pretty good job. Every time a, a, a biological male wins a female event, you basically tweet out, dudes, dudes rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I thought maybe that would do the trick, but it's not. I mean, it's, it's literally, it's gone so far left that it wraps around and actually becomes the most misogynistic thing you could ever do. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. wild. It's it's infuriating and I'm sick of it. And that, that's really Dave Chappelle's sin is calling attention. And that's that's J.K. Rowling's sin is calling attention to this. And, you know, you're right. Quidditch has to go away. And Dave Chappelle, like the, probably the best paid comedian in the world right now and most famous, um, he can't perform at this storied venue. Right. But even though they knew very well what he said prior to booking him. Uh, look, I want to end it on a positive note. And that is you guys may or may not be aware of I had some drama with Air France. My family and I went to Italy and they lost not one, not two, not three, not four, but all five of our bags, all five. (laughs) They didn't get one to us. 
And I did a big talking points on it and lots of people laughed and it's online right now. If people want to see it at YouTube. Um, anyway, they slowly but surely over the weeks that followed, they got one to us and they got two and they got three and then they got four. And when I did my talking points memo, that's all I had four to five. And I was waiting and waiting. Nobody, I still never spoke to a human. That was my big lamentation. I, I couldn't speak to one damn human. There wasn't a oh. human available. <laughs> there was only fake news, <laughs> Guillaume and fake human Lewis who kept trying to DM me. <laughs> it was artificial intelligence. And um, shortly after I did my little talking points memo, publicly shaming Air France for its terrible, terrible customer service and behavior. Guess what I got on my phone? Okay. I was missing five. They had delivered four. I was waiting for the last one and up popped a text telling me that my remaining two bags would be delivered tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal. Did, hopefully you get some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I did get the fifth bag and I continue to await the delivery of the sixth and what yeah, let's see what, let's see what shows up there <laughs> let us know i'd love to i'm curious Ho hopefully they spent a lot of time in the duty free yeah exactly <laughs> get some italian wine you know maybe some, maybe some food product i Great. will 100 be opening that thing on the air if indeed it shows up. <laughs> so, the message is carry on your bags folks carry them on It's time for another edition of You Can't Say That or Think That or Do That. Oh, wait, this is America. And here in America, we are about to enjoy our first summer in a while without having to think very much about pandemics. But wait, just when you thought you were free, enter monkeypox. Thankfully, monkeypox has not made too much of an impact here in the United States. But our friends at the World Health Organization have their eye on the ball when it comes to what truly matters with this potential pandemic. The name monkeypox, you see, is very offensive, and they have announced that they will be changing it. A group of scientific researchers and biologists recently wrote a blog post about how the disease unfairly was associated with the continent of Africa, where the disease is endemic. They wrote that in the context of the current global outbreak, continued reference to and nomenclature of this virus being African is not only inaccurate, but is also discriminatory and stigmatizing. The blog post also took issue with the media's use of photos of African patients when discussing the disease. The World Health Organization has responded, just as they responded to the COVID outbreak in Wuhan, China, by ensuring we didn't call it the Wuhan virus. Now they are responding to this monkeypox outbreak by promising they will have a new name as soon as possible. <laughs> yes, clearly we have learned so much about prioritizing what matters during a pandemic. Let's make sure we don't further any harmful stigmas. The scientific researchers had a suggestion. They would like us to call monkeypox HMPXV. HMPXV, which really rolls off the tongue. That'll make it easier. So far, no announcements from the WHO, but we'll be waiting because if you think you're just going to go around and call a disease that everyone has called monkeypox for decades by its original name. Well, it's 2022, and you can't say that. Thanks for listening to The Megyn Kelly Show. No BS, no agenda, and no fear. <laughs>